Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Here he is in all of his radiant glory. I, I didn't recognize him when he came in the studio this morning because he is dressed as Mike Nelson from Sea Hunt. <laughs> Remember that old TV yeah, show? Yeah, well, I, I think it maybe it's because the moss. You got your snorkel on and everything. Yeah, this the moss growing oh. over my ears, man. It has been Can wet. Can you believe Ooh. this weather? Yeah. And we're actually, I just told you before we started, I'm going to talk a little bit about something that happened many years ago right here where we're at. Really? So we'll, we'll get, hopefully we'll get to that. Okay, tip your uh, mic up just, just there. That's perfect. That. Okay. You are A1 perfect. I've only been doing this for five years, Zeb. You'd think I'd learn. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> that, that's an old mic. Yep. So... I'm, uh, first of all, you know, last week we talked about mental illness, and I just want to thank some of the people that sent me some comments on my webpage. I appreciate your comments, so thank you. So today I'm going to step out on a limb and say that I'm going to bet nobody's heard of these guys, and sure enough, there's always somebody that's going to uh, write to me and say, yeah, I know about these brothers. Okay, their name is Kolb, K-O-L-B. I went to Brothers. college. One of my no, roommates. No, no, seriously. Really? One of my roommates was Jerry Kolb. Well, this could be their relatives. Oh, okay. maybe. All right, I'm <laughs> okay. serious. Okay, well, we'll check that out. So their their names are Ellsworth and Emery. The Cold Brothers. So, long before the Grand Canyon was a national park, it attracted some pretty colorful characters. Uh, men went in there and dug for ore. They built trails and camps. And later, these guys guided tourists and were noted for their gift of, uh, you might say, colorful storytelling. You know, <laughs> around a campfire. Did yeah. they enhance the facts? Oh, I'm sure they didn't. You know, oh. Everything was absolutely true. <laughs> the point is, the Cold Brothers went way beyond colorful. They were the real deal genuine explorers they explored every corner of the grand canyon on foot in saddle by boat and actually even from an airplane and this is for real yeah yeah so in 1922 when uh, aviation experts declared it impossible to land a plane in the canyon because of treacherous updrafts uh, ellsworth one of the brothers hired a stunt pilot climbed aboard as a cameraman, and proved them wrong when they sat down in their inner canyon at a place called Plateau Point. Uh-huh. So he proved this, and this was back in 1922 when aviation was still, you know, pretty young. Pretty. Yeah. Yeah. But it was Kolb's astonishing uh, journey down the Green and Colorado Rivers in 1911-1912 that actually made him famous. I see. So, you know, everybody's heard of John Wesley Powell. Mm -hmm. You know, he first rafted these waters in 1869. And in the next four decades, there's only a few men that succeeded. And there had been a bunch of them that had died. Let me ask trying. you about that. Because when you talk about rafting those rivers way back then, without the innovative and scientific equipment or the uh, the life vests and yeah, everything. The safety. Ooh. Yeah. Well. So here's the Cole, uh, the Cole brothers with 
really no boating experience, the Cole brothers spent nearly four months in deep river canyons, traveling 1,100 miles. They navigated 365 large rapids and who knows how many smaller ones. They became just the 26th and 27th men to accomplish this feat. Now, Ellsworth, one of the brothers, would go on the next year to complete the journey following the Colorado all the way to the ocean. And he was just the fourth to expedition to do that. So he did it all by all the way out. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Now the Colbs not only survived their river trip but shot some amazing moving picture. At clear back then there was actually movie cameras. Uh, and that film would become the longest running movie of all time playing at their studio from 1915 until 1976. They actually oh, had my. movie film. But when the Colbs weren't filming history, they were making it. Now, the biggest beneficiary of the Colbs' work was the Grand Canyon itself. So President Theodore Roosevelt, a Colb friend and occasional house guest, had used the Antiquities Act to designate Grand Canyon National Monument in 1908. Now, uh, the Colb... Uh, Pictures and motion picture and the lectures sparked sparked a big interest in the canyon. The August 1914 issue of National Geographic was all about the Kolb brothers. The entire issue was filled with their words, photos, detailing their life at the Grand Canyon and their river trip, and it increased attention and, of course, growing tourism. Uh, the numbers shifted the political landscape, and then they changed it from the Grand Canyon National Monument to the Grand Canyon National Park. So they were a lot more than just hot air. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they, I'll explain how a lot of the things they did in the canyon. Yeah. So that happened. It was changed to a national park in 1990 by President Woodrow Wilson. So Ellsworth, uh, he was the older brother. Now, the the story says he never saw a horizon he didn't like. Uh, He left Pittsburgh home, his Pittsburgh home, in 1900. He had $2 in his pocket. Mm -mm. He rambled westward, working as he went. He manned a snowplow at Pikes Peak. He swung a pick and a shovel on the roads of Yellowstone and Yosemite. He served as a carpenter's helper in San Francisco. He signed on with a freighter bound for China. But before he shipped out, he decided to take a little look at a big hole in Arizona called the Grand Canyon. Oh, my. So he was going to go to China, but he thought, oh, I've got a little time here. I'm going to just go over there and see what this is. And that was 100 years ago yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. A little, yeah, in the 1900s, yeah. early 1900s. Anyway, so Ellsworth hired on with the Santa Fe Railroad, Santa Fe, so he could travel east to a town called Williams, which is a town that was about 60 miles south of the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. From there, now I told you only had a few dollars, nearly broke. He walked the tracks on, the, on a spur line to the canyon for 50 miles. Then he finally flagged down a train, and he was able to ride a little farther on Can the train. Can you imagine how lonely and desolate Arizona was back then? Oh, you know, wow. nothing for miles. So anyway, the Santa Fe uh, ran the first train to the South Rim on September 9th, 1901. And Ellsworth Kolb got there just a few weeks later, and both arrivals would significantly impact the history of the Grand Canyon. Oh, be So Ellsworth, he fell in love and forgot all about going to China, and he quickly landed a job chopping wood at a place called the Bright Angel Hotel, which I question if that's still in existence, maybe. Anyway, when he wrote home, he told his younger brother stories about this amazing canyon, and Uh, Emery was intrigued uh, because he'd been studying photography as a hobby. Okay, so Ellsworth is the older brother. Emery is the younger by about five years. I see. 
So, like I say, five years separated the two cold boys, as well as uh, difference in personalities. Emery was more practical, more careful, cautious. He tended to be more intense than the easygoing Ellsworth. Ellsworth, he'd just go do anything, anytime, anywhere. But they were inseparable. They were. They had a lot of fun together. They, as you can imagine, they got into a little trouble and adventure growing up as young boys would. Mm-hmm. Nothing too serious. So now with Ellsworth living on the edge of one of the world's greatest photo opportunities, it seemed only natural to pursue this artistic calling. So in 1902, two years later, Emery traveled west to join his brother. Okay. So the bulk of the Cole brothers' business was photographing mule riders as they ra- rode down the canyon. So they were taking mule train And trips. that was way back in 1902. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't think there was mule rides in that started until at least the 30s. Yeah. It, so according to this, they started, like, say, 1902, 1903. Oh, my. So the Culps would go on to photograph, get this, more than 50,000 mule strings going down the trail to the bottom of the canyon. Oh, my. Now... Here's what's interesting, too. They built a dark room at a place called Indian Garden, which is halfway down the canyon where there was fresh water, and they created a business. Okay? So not having been there, I don't know what this Indian Garden is, but it must be kind of a wide area in the trail. It's the only thing I can, I can figure. Have you ever considered taking a mule ride to the bottom of the canyon? No. Me neither. <laughs> I might walk, but not right. I don't know. They don't say know. those old jazz honkies are the safest way to get there, but I I'd, don't know. I'd be a nervous wreck yeah. the whole time. Yeah. So anyway, the mule trains would pause for a photo to be taken at the rim and then start down the tra- uh, trail, and they would quickly be passed by the photographer, Emery, and after snapping the photos, Emery or Ellsworth, either one, would loaded, load the glass plates uh, back then. You know, they were glass plates into their pack, and they would head down the canyon. They hurried down the switchbacks 4.6 miles to this clear spring at Indian Garden. Now, here, each plate had to be hand-washed once, twice, maybe three times. They would repack the plates. They turned and charged back toward the rim. So now they're going back up the canyon. And it was how many miles? 4.6 miles. From the bottom? No, from this Indian Garden. Oh, I see. I believe, if I understand that correct. Anyway, this time, every step, of course, was going uphill, and it was hot. Uh, They passed the mule trains again. The glass plates were clattering as they ran, sweat running down their face, uh, over 3,200 vertical feet. Holy cow. So 9.2 miles round trip from this garden grove back up to the top. Now, had they walked down? Yeah. And then ran back up? Yeah, because the mule train, they'd started, and so he had to... Pass the mule train, get down, wash these plates. These guys aren't that smart. Well, <laughs> it's hot down there. <laughs> it is. So anyway, they would reach the studio in time to sell prints to the returning riders. No kidding. Yeah. And this mini marathon was repeated twice and sometimes three times a day. So three times, that'd be nearly 30 miles of up, down, up, down, up, down. Or down up. You would think one brother might say to themselves, uh, wait <laughs> a minute. <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> well, anyway, that was part of the Colbs' uh, enduring legacy. They captured not just a landscape, but kind of a spirit of the Old West in a way. Oh, my. And at the dawn of the 20th century, when technological advancements seemed to be shrinking the country, the Colbs showed America that the frontier still existed, and they were living right on the edge. Oh, so, my. Got to have a drink. Yeah, there was a pause there, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) That was just a drink, folks. 
Anyway, wild places now could be reached, but it took daring and nerve, and they were just the camera slingers to pull it off. Their mule photos were mementos, but their canyon portraits were amazing souvenirs. I'll bet. Now, Zeb, you've heard of the selfie. Yes. Okay. Well, the Colbs invented this. Oh, really? Back in the early 1900s. The Colbs invented the selfie. They put themselves into a lot of their photographs as markers of the dangers of the Grand Canyon. And sometimes they were they are there to provide a way to measure how big things are. So, you know, a lot of times if you see a picture of, like, say, a big rock or something, and you see a man standing there, yeah. and he looks like he's about an inch and a half tall, yeah. then you get a perspective of, of how huge... Whatever it is, the canyon okay. or the mountain or whatever. So if they wanted to check the depth, they watched somebody falling over <laughs> yeah. the rim or something. See how long it takes to reach the bottom. <laughs> so, you know, but there's a picture of them on top of a steep ledge over a cliff, and they appeared in photos hanging onto the faces of cliffs. you got to be Climbing hand over hand on ropes stretched from treetops and jumping from cliff to cliff. I mean, these guys were... Neither one of these guys were ever at the head of their class, well, were they? But they lived. They yeah. made it. So, but the signature photograph is one is called View Hunters, and it perfectly captures the reckless nature that would become their trademark. So here's what that, that picture was. Ellsworth would straddle a high crevice uh, with a slender tree trunk stretched between the gap. Okay, so picture this. you got cliff over here, a big gap, and then another cliff, maybe 15 feet across. Yeah. Okay, so Ellsworth would sit on that tree. That was across the that gap. That was across the gap. Uh-huh. Now, far below him, Emery is dangling in midair. Far below. Far below, clutching a rope with one hand and a camera in the other, and he's going for the impossible picture as Ellsworth holds the rope tight. You know, really, you got a question. Uh, when these brothers were sitting alone, maybe with a bottle of Jack Daniels or whatever, <laughs> where did they come up with this goofy idea? You know, I, I find it interesting that the younger brother's the ones hanging down below. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, the older yeah, brother, he's yeah. up on the tree, Liam, you know. Holy smokes. You know, uh, you'd want to trust your brother. What did they sell these pictures for? Well, I don't know how much, but they sold thousands. And, uh, you know, this was, like, say, in National Geographic. You, really? Yeah. But uh, anyway, and they, now they also turned this image into postcards, and it was on the cover of their souvenir photo album that they sold at the studio and through the mail. No so people kidding. could mail order this picture, this yeah. photo album. Well, it made a millionaires, I'll bet. It could have done, but... You know, it kind of came to define their artistic style. The Colbs were adventurers who just happened to carry cameras. And, wow. and those of, were the big, bulky cameras. Oh, yeah, those are those big. They weren't huge, the Kodak Instamatics. No, no, you couldn't take it with your phone there. Yeah. But the Kolb studio actually remains uh, the wood frame building originally constructed by the two young brothers in 1904. Oh, is still really? there. Yeah, still. Now, Emery... Kolb, the, the younger, died uh, December 11th, 1976. He fell off the tree. <laughs> no, no, he was 95. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He was 95. But here, here's a note here. It says, when Emery was born, uh, the Apache Wars were still raging across Arizona. The Earps and Doc Holiday had not shed, shot it out with the Clantons and the McClurys uh, in uh, Tombstone. He lived long enough to witness every Apollo moon landing. Wow. 95 years old. Can you see? Can you imagine the changes? I mean. Oh, my goodness. Through 100 years almost there. But like I said, the Kolb Studio remains the wood frame building originally constructed by these guys uh, in 1904. Uh, and it's actually been restored by a 
group called the Grand Canyon Conservancy, and it's operated as a retail store and an ex- exhibition space. Uh, you know, talking about the Grand Canyon, which you are, uh, and I have never taken that mule ride down into the canyon. I don't know anything about the width of the trail, the condition of the trail, but I would imagine that uh, because of safety and insurance and everything, they probably had to widen it in recent times. Yeah, I, I would think so. I you and I have both been in the mountains, and we've been on trails oh, that, that yeah. are steep on one side. Yeah. And but it's not a. Dr- I've never been on one that's a drop off. I have been on one that was a. I've got acrophobia. You know that okay. the fear of heights. Okay. And let me tell you something. I had. Uh, I, I never will forget it. On my left shoulder going up, I had the dirtiest scuffed up <laughs> jacket from hugging the dirt on that wall, can, and then coming down and equalized yeah. it. <laughs> I could. I could relate to that. Yeah. Now you know I, I mentioned how they. They uh, were some of the first to go down that Colorado. So back in about 1960, my dad and his five brothers got two rubber rafts. They put in in the middle fork of the Salmon River. No guide, nothing. And they went. What are you trying to tell me here about your family? <laughs> they were kind of an adventuresome uh, group, and they floated the middle fork of the Salmon River. They nearly lost a boat. Uh, they were coming to one of the major falls, and my uncle was fly fishing out the back of the boat. And uh, anyway, luckily they they made it. So, oh my now, goodness! Now, folks, I, uh, there's a book that I'm going to recommend. It's called The Emerald Mile. Okay. And this was written uh, about a, uh, some guys in 1983. That's when there was the massive flooding along the length of the Colorado River, and the engineers at the Glen Canyon Dam. Uh, they were really worried that uh, because they had to let so much water go through the uh, overflows, the spillways, that it uh, cavitated and tore out huge chunks of rock and cement. And uh, anyway, this book, The Emerald Mile, talks about this because there was a guy by the name of Kenton Grau, and he and another guy, or a couple of guys, they were in uh, in boats that with these long these boats that you rode, and they wanted to set a record for the fastest boat ever to go down the Colorado River from Lee's Ferry to Lake Mead. Oh my! So uh, it's an exciting book, and I would I would highly recommend that uh, to anybody that uh, because that was the year 1983-84 when the whole Northwest was filled with uh, water and. Zeb, uh, you know, right here where we live, I mentioned to you earlier, no. the Oakley Dam, folks, is right here in south-central Idaho, 20 miles south of the Snake River. And that uh, spring, as the snow melt started to come off, it uh, was filling the Oakley Reservoir. And there was a point where they went up there and they poured a, I'm going to say about a two-foot-high uh, uh, cement barrier on top of the dam. But it kept rising. Then they went in and put uh, some boards like 2 by 12s so another two feet to keep the dam from washing out. Oh, my. And that's when the leaders of the county decided something had to be done. So they got together, and they put together the equipment, the manpower, everything to build this 20-mile canal from Oakley to the Snake River in three days. Oh, three days. my. And they went across roads. They went across some people's farms. Uh, people sacrificed their ground because they estimate that had that dam broke, it would have wiped out millions and millions of dollars worth of farm ground, oh, yeah. homes, equipment. And... Uh, 
back then, Zev, I had my pilot's license. And you were a pilot? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know you were a Sky King. Well, <laughs> not that good. Oh. But that morning, uh, two guys from the local radio station said, hey, can you take us up and we'll take a picture or do an on, on in the air a report about the yeah. as they let the water out to go yeah. down. Oh my. So I said, okay. It was a little bit bouncy, and and so we went up, and we one guy was in the back seat, and he was doing a in the air broadcast and looking down at the canal, and uh, the other the tech guy was in the front seat next to me, all the way up to Oakley. It was kind of like I said, kind of bouncy, and when we got up there, we saw the water starting to come down the canal, and I turned around to come back and. The poor guy in the back seat, he'd been looking down the whole time, oh, bouncing up and down. And he was green. He handed the microphone to the guy in the front seat, and I'll not say any more about his return trip other than I had to laugh a little, but I felt sorry for him. <laughs> uh, you know, there is nothing worse, I don't think, than air sickness oh, like that. This oh. poor guy, he was so glad to get well, back on the ground. I didn't know you were a pilot. Well, I, Do you still I, maintain your license? No. I uh, scared my wife to death one time, and and then I had some things happen. I thought, you know, if you're not going to fly a lot and stay good at it, you yeah. probably should hang it up. And yeah. I was in on an airplane with some guys, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to hang it up, and I sold my membership in it. And I see. So I enjoyed it. I, I really did. You so. know, what we ought to do is find out more information about the trek into the canyon via the mules and everything. And that, I'd like to know more about that trail system and everything. Yeah, I, and uh, in the modern what day. What we ought to do is call an audience. If anybody's gone into the uh, depth and uh, bottom of the canyon via mule ride, uh, call us next week. I'm out of time this week, and let us know about that. I'd or, like to or, know. Or send me an email at, yeah. at uh, krtburley at gmail.com, or just go to my webpage, Dr. History, and you can hit comments wow. and send me uh, a little description. That'd be great. Maybe what we ought to do is just break away uh, next week or the week after and just uh, run down to Arizona, and, and we'll do the show live on the back of a jazz honky going into the bottom of the canyon. I'll be up at the top, Zeb. Uh-huh. I'll take pictures of you. <laughs> You're one of the cold brothers. I t- no, not even that. <laughs> okay. Hang out on that tree limb. Dr. History and doing a great job again this week. Excellent story. Thank you very much.